Chapter thirty two of Plain Tales from the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. Plain Tales from the Hills by Rudyard Kipling. Chapter thirty two On the Strength of a Likeness. If your mirror be broken, look into still water, but have a care that you do not fall in. Hindu proverb. Next to a requited attachment, one of the most convenient things that a young man can carry about with him at the beginning of his career is an unrequited attachment. It makes him feel important and businesslike, and blasé and cynical, and whenever he has a touch of liver or suffers from want of exercise, he can mourn over his lost love and be very happy in a tender twilight fashion. Hanneside's affair of the heart had been a godsend to him. It was four years old, and the girl had long since given up thinking of it. She had married and had many cares of her own. In the beginning she had told Hanneside that, while she could never be anything more than a sister to him, she would always take the deepest interest in his welfare. This startling new and original remark gave Hanneside something to think over for two years, and his own vanity filled in the other twenty-four months. Hanneside was quite different from Phil Garin, but nonetheless had several points in common with that far too lucky man. He kept his unrequited attachment by him as men keep a well-smoked pipe, for comfort's sake and because it had grown dear in the using. It brought him happily through the Simla season. Hanneside was not lovely. There was a crudity in his manners and a roughness in the way in which he helped a lady on her horse that did not attract the other sex to him, even if he had cast about for their favor, which he did not. He kept his wounded heart all to himself for a while. Then trouble came to him. All who go to Simla know the slope from the telegraph to the public works office. Hanneside was loafing up the hill one September morning between calling hours, when a rickshaw came down in a hurry, and in the rickshaw sat the living, breathing image of the girl who had made him so happily unhappy. Hanneside leaned against the railing and gasped. He wanted to run downhill after the rickshaw, but that was impossible, so he went forward with most of his blood in his temples. It was impossible, for many reasons, that the woman in the rickshaw could be the girl he had known. She was, he discovered later, the wife of a man from Dindigal, or Coimbatore, or some out-of-the-way place, and she had come up to Simla early in the season for the good of her health. She was going back to Dindigal, or wherever it was, at the end of the season, and in all likelihood would never return to Simla again, her proper hill-station being Utakamond. That night Hanneside, raw and savage from the raking up of all old feelings, took counsel with himself for one measured hour. What he decided upon was this, and you must decide for yourself how much genuine affection for the old love, and how much a very natural inclination to go abroad and enjoy himself, affected the decision. Mrs. Landis Haggart would never in all human likelihood cross his path again so whatever he did didn't much matter. She was marvelously like the girl who took a deep interest and the rest of the formula. All things considered, it would be pleasant to make the acquaintance of Mrs. Landis Haggart, and for a little time, only a very little time, to make believe that he was with Alice Chisane again. Everyone is more or less mad on one point. Hannah's day's particular monomania was his old love, Alice Chisane. He made it his business to get introduced to Mrs. Haggart, and the introduction prospered. He also made it his business to see as much as he could of that lady. When a man is in earnest as to interviews, the facilities which Simla offers are startling. There are garden parties and tennis parties and picnics and luncheons at Annandale, 
and rifle matches and dinners and balls, besides rides and walks, which are matters of private arrangement. Hannaside had started with the intention of seeing a likeness, and he ended up by doing much more. He wanted to be deceived, he meant to be deceived, and he deceived himself very thoroughly. Not only were the face and figure, the face and figure of Alice Chisane, but the voice and lower tones were exactly the same, and so were the turns of speech, and the little mannerism that every woman has of gait and gesticulation, were absolutely and identically the same. The turn of the head was the same, the tired look in the eyes at the end of a long walk was the same. The sloop and wrench over the saddle to hold in a pulling horse was the same, and once, most marvellous of all, Mrs. Landis Haggart, singing to herself in the next room, while Hannaside was waiting to take her for a ride, hummed note for note with a throaty quiver of the voice in the second line, Poor Wandering One, exactly as Alice Chisane had hummed it for Hannaside in the dusk of an English drawing-room. In the actual woman herself, in the soul of her, there was not the least likeness, she and Alice Chisane being cast in different moulds, but all that Hannaside wanted to know and see and think about was this maddening and perplexing likeness of face and voice and manner. He was bent on making a fool of himself that way, and he was in no sort disappointed. Open and obvious devotion from any sort of man is always pleasant to any sort of woman, but Mrs. Landis Haggart, being a woman of the world, could make nothing of Hannaside's admiration. He would take any amount of trouble, he was a selfish man habitually, to meet and forestall, if possible, her wishes. Anything she told him to do was law, and he was, there could be no doubting it, fond of her company so long as she talked to him, and kept on talking about trivialities. But when she launched into expression of her personal views and her wrongs, those small social differences that make the spice of similar life, Hannaside was neither pleased nor interested. He didn't want to know anything about Mrs. Landis Haggart or her experiences in the past. She had travelled nearly all over the world and could talk cleverly. He wanted the likeness of Alice Chisane before his eyes, and her voice in his ears. Anything outside that, reminding him of another personality, jarred, and he showed that it did. Under the new post-office one evening, Mrs. Landis Haggart turned on him and spoke her mind shortly and without warning. "'Mr. Hannaside,' said she, "'will you be good enough to explain why you have appointed yourself my special cavalier servante? I don't understand it but I am perfectly certain, somehow or other, that you don't care the least bit in the world for me. This seemed to support, by the way, the theory that no man can act or tell lies to a woman without being found out. Hannaside was taken off his guard. His defense never was a strong one, because he was always thinking of himself, and he blurted out, before he knew what he was saying, this inexpedient answer, "'No more I do!' The queerness of the situation and the reply made Mrs. Landis Haggart laugh. Then it all came out. And at the end of Hannaside's lucid explanation, Mrs. Haggart said, with the least little touch of scorn in her voice, "'So I'm to act as the lay figure for you to hang the rags of your tattered affections on, am I?' Hannaside didn't see what answer was required, and he devoted himself generally and vaguely to the praise of Alice Chisane, which was unsatisfactory. Now it is to be thoroughly made clear that Mrs. Haggart had not the shadow of a ghost of an interest in Hannaside. Only— only no woman likes being made love through instead of two, especially on behalf of a musty divinity of four years' standing. Hannaside did not see that he had made any very particular exhibition of himself. He was glad to find a sympathetic soul in the arid wastes of Simla. 
When the season ended, Hannaside went down to his own place, and Mrs. Haggart to hers. It was like making love to a ghost, said Hannaside to himself, and it doesn't matter, and now I'll get to my work. But he found himself thinking steadily of the haggart Chazane ghost, and he could not be certain whether it was Haggart or Chazane that made up the greater part of the pretty phantom. He got understanding a month later. A peculiar point of this peculiar country is the way in which a heartless government transfers men from one end of the empire to the other. You can never be sure of getting rid of a friend or an enemy till he or she dies. There was a case once—but oh, that's another story. Haggard's department ordered him up from Dindigal to the frontier at two days' notice, and he went through, losing money at every step, from Dindigal to his station. He dropped Mrs. Haggard at Lucknow, to stay with some friends there, to take part in a big ball at the Chutter Monzil, and to come on when he had made the new home a little comfortable. Lucknow was Hannisdale's station, and Mrs. Haggart stayed a week there. Hannaside went to meet her, and the train came in. He discovered which he had been thinking of for the past month. The unwisdom of his conduct also struck him. The Lucknow week, with two dances and an unlimited quantity of rides together, clinched matters, and Hannaside found himself pacing the circle of thought. He adored Alice Chazane, at least he had adored her, and he admired Mrs. Landis Haggart because she was like Alice Chazane, but Mrs. Landis Haggart was not in the least like Alice Chazane, being a thousand times more adorable. Now, Alice Chazane was the bride of another, and so was Mrs. Landis Haggart, and a good and honest wife, too. Therefore, he, Hannaside, was here he called himself several hard names, and wished that he had been wise in the beginning. Whither Mrs. Landis Haggart saw what was going on in his mind, she alone knows. He seemed to take an unqualified interest in everything connected with herself, as distinguished from the Alice Chazane likeness, and he said one or two things which, if Alice Chazane had been still betrothed to him, could scarcely have been excused, even on the grounds of the likeness. But Mrs. Haggart turned the remarks aside and spent a long time in making Hannaside see what a comfort and a pleasure she had been to him because of her strange resemblance to his old love. Hannaside groaned in his saddle and said, Yes, indeed, and busied himself with preparations for her departure to the frontier, feeling very small and miserable. The last day of her stay at Lucknow came, and Hannaside saw her off at the railway station. She was very grateful for his kindness and the trouble he had taken and smiled pleasantly and sympathetically as one who knew the Alice Chazane reason of that kindness. And Hannaside abused the coolies with the luggage, and hustled the people on the platform, and prayed that the roof might fall in and slay him. As the train went out slowly, Mrs. Landis Haggart leaned out the window to say good-bye. On second thought, au revoir, Mr. Hannaside. I go home in the spring, and perhaps I may meet you in town. Hannaside shook hands and said very earnestly and adoringly, I hope to heaven I shall never see your face again. And Mrs. Haggart understood. End of chapter 32 On the Strength of a Likeness Recording by Mike Harris